Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Columbus Junction Public Library's Beyond the Bookshelf podcast. I'm Mandy. And I'm Erin. And today we are talking about on episode, we don't know the number anymore because we've lost all semblance of time and energy and space trying to get all these episodes made so we don't have to record over the summer. <sighs> Hashtag summer reading. But um, we're talking about tropes today. And so we hope that you will buckle up and enjoy the violence and chaos with us this morning because Aaron and I have come up with three commonly used tropes that we adore in books and three that we abhor in books. Oh, did you like the alliteration there? I did. That was so good and I- unintentional. Extra points. Extra points. Anyway, so we've written these tropes down. We made sure there were no duplicates. And now we have randomly divvied them up. And we're going to be surprised at which trope we pull. We're going to explain a little bit about the trope to you. Maybe give you a couple of examples and tell you why we love it or we hate it. But then this is where the violence comes in. The other person has the opportunity to give a rebuttal and it will be intense. We know it will be. We're so ready for it. So if you also choose violence and chaos today, we invite you to continue listening because it's gonna be good. Looking at you. I know. I know. I have got too many opinions and not enough time to say them. <laughs> It's going to be good. Oh, it is. So we're going to start by like, what is a trope? So I think there's two like distinct definitions of a trope. So there is the like very hoity-toity, a trope is like a simile or it is a common alliteration or something like that. So it's a, that's one version of Oh, you of mean a trope. I used a trope earlier? <gasps> oh, look at you. You were prepared for today. Oh. <laughs> and then there's like the common version of a trope. So this could be something like uh, Romeo and Juliet is kind of like a trope or like enemies to lover is like a really common trope as well. So this is something that is a common or overused theme or plot device as according to Merriam-Webster. Love it. All right. Tell us what your first one is. Okay. 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 So my this first This is one. randomized. We have no idea. Yeah. No, we just put them all in a thing and we're just drawing them. So I might get one of like Mandy's and I had to define it. So Mandy's going to be in the corner waiting for her rebuttal because she's like, wait, no, it's not like that. So <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> and this is the chaos part. <laughs> I know. It's going to be so good. It is going to be We've so good. We've been so chaotic lately. We have. It's... <laughs> You can tell the countdown to summer reading is real, yo. Oh, it's been good. It's been good. All right. Oh, okay. I got reluctant hero. Ooh. Okay, okay. So a reluctant hero is somebody who, you know, you see those TV shows or whatever, and there's like this kid. He's like, yeah, no, I've got to go be the hero. I have to go save the world. And he like jumps into it. He's like, this is my destiny. Well, this is the opposite of that, where they're like, I'm tired. I'm grumpy. This is silly. I don't want to leave my house. So very much like Bilbo Baggins in like The Hobbit, or if anyone has seen The Witcher, He's kind of a reluctant hero as well. Um, just anyone who like be might be like a morally great character who then has to become the hero of the story. So I put this trope in. I love this trope. I think it's very cute watching grumpy people having to do good because deep down they're soft on the inside. And I think it's great. <laughs> okay, so I'm not choosing violence right now because I concur. I love a grumpy hero. Like especially when they're countered with someone who is just stinking sunshine all the time. I love that. And what I love even more is when Little Miss or Mr. Sunshine becomes a little bit more grumpier and Mr. or Ms. Grumpy becomes a little bit more sunshine and they kind of meet in the middle. Oh yeah. Primo. Love that. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. 
And oh. and I love the internal. Are you serious? There's not somebody else that could just go and do this thing. Like, what do you mean I have to do it? How do you know I'm the person? Because that inc- like incredulous sort of like questioning their responsibility and all of this, I think is totally how I would approach it. If someone said, you're the savior of the universe, I'd be like, nah, I'm Netflix and chilling. Sorry, not happening. I'm too tired to be a hero today. I'm too tired to be a hero. Go find someone else to hero. <laughs> Exactly. I do love that one as well. I'm glad you put that one on there. Okay, here's my first one. Oh, oh. The Femme Fatale and the Bad Boy. (sighs) Okay, so this is like, it's exactly like what it says. It's the good or the bad girl or the bad boy. And it can be a lot of different things. Like you see that more, um, well, like the La Femme Nikita. I mean, she's an assassin, but essentially, so like she does bad things, but she does them for supposedly good reasons. Or if it's not a good enough reason, then she sometimes tries to like right that wrong. But ultimately, like from the outside looking in, they look like bad people, leather jackets, dark red nail polish. You know what I mean? Like that sort of like visual trope as well. I do love when people do bad things for good reason. (laughs) And I have no problem with that. Um, I don't like badness for badness sakes, but when you're trying to protect someone, take someone down, you know, different things like that. I don't (laughs) mind reading and or watching things that promote doing bad things for good reason. (laughs) I'm not condoning violence in that respect or chaos in that respect. But like money heist, like, oh wait, that's not necessarily like a very good reason, but did I love that whole concept of like trying to take down the banks and you know like all that kind of stuff casinos yeah you know you know when danny ocean walked out with the money looking like a swat dude did that satisfy me absolutely it did although we did make a lot of fun of those boys from the transy heist because they were not danny ocean i'm (laughs) sorry if you're listening boys i'm glad i watched your today show interview and that you've learned your lesson thank you for that all right what's your rebuttal erin okay okay i'm intrigued the way you took this Okay. Because why? when I, okay, so I actually put this one in. So I know you did. I hate this trope because of the way I intended it. Um, because Ooh. I didn't, I realize now I didn't write it correctly. Okay. So when I put Femme Fatale, I meant like, um, have you seen the second in, or the third Indiana Jones movie, the one with Sean Connery? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, the Femme Fatale, how she's like, oh, look at me. I'm so cute. I'm so sexy. Yes. Oh, by the way, I'm a Nazi. But like she uses her beauty. Like she tries to weaponize her beauty, oh. but really it's turned against her and she is looked down upon for using her beauty. Oh. Right. So there's that stereotype of women who are like, oh, I'm using my beauty for myself. That's bad. I'm an evil character. And then here's men. It's like, yeah, I'm hot. I'm a bad boy. And you want me for it. So for men, it's good to be bad because people want them more. For women, when they're bad, it's awful and they should be killed. (laughs) Oh, okay. So when you explain it like that, I also hate that trope. Right. So I was just like, oh, I didn't write this right. (laughs) Oh, our interpretations were different. I do like that. See, you could have different interpretations of tropes. But I agree with you. When women Women get villainized for weaponizing their beauty, especially in time periods or in situations where that is their only like actionable recourse or whatever. Sorry, I'm not like spitting that out. I I don't love that. It's your turn. Outsider protagonist. (sighs) 
All right, guys. So the outsider protagonist is, oh, I don't belong in this society. I don't get any of this, you know? So this could be something like Katniss. She didn't belong in like the capital society. This also could be something like a girl in high school who's not part of the popular club. And she's just like, yeah, no, I don't have any friends. I'm cool. I'm not one of those girls. So she's coming in and having to learn everything brand new because she either didn't want to be a part of the society before or she could not be a part of the society before. I say she, but he's could be it too. But I noticed it a lot with women. And also just putting women out there. Like it. 10 out of 10. So I don't like this trope. I understand the reason for this trope because this is a great literary way to introduce a world to a character, for example. And sometimes it's done better than others. That being said, the last series I just read was completely an outsider protagonist. So I don't have any room to stand on, but I want something more from my YA especially. Okay, so this one was one of mine. And for all the same reasons as you, (laughs) I dislike it but I do find myself reading it. Um, mostly because it seems like a lot of times it's this outsider protagonist and they end up being the character that everybody loves and that everybody turns to by copying to the norm. Like they all of a sudden blossom into this really beautiful woman that everyone takes notice of and she has this really cool idea, but we do it in the conventional manner. It, like... Also, how many out, especially, and, and I'm, I'm looking at YA, so I, I will be completely honest. Yeah. I think the further removed we are from our own junior high and high school experiences, sometimes the more we kind of sit back and think like, I didn't really fit in, but I had a crowd of people I fit in with. But like, how many outsiders can one high school legitimately have? Like, so you're an outsider because you like to read. You're an outsider because you have glasses. You're an outsider because you don't wear skirts. Like, come on, give me something better than I'm not like other girls. I don't wear skirts and paint my nails. How about just be like, I don't like people's crap and I don't put up with it. I think high school's silly. I'm ready to move on to college because when I'm taking my college classes in my college campus, I feel like my opinions are valued. Give me something besides, oh, I don't paint my nails. I just wear a ponytail and jeans. Like, girl, come on, so do I. Exactly. (laughs) Well, also, I feel like this trope is really used to look at the conventional society that women exist in and to shame all of it and really say like, oh, I'm really not like those other girls because I'm not hyper-feminine. I'm not all of this. There's nothing wrong with being hyper-feminine as long as that's your choice. What really they should be shaming is the way society funnels women into a specific option and not shaming women for that option. And- it really does, the the outsider protagonist, and I know we've talked a lot about girls because it does get used a lot more with female characters, particularly about their looks and how boys feel about them and how girls treat them. Yes. But it also does a lot to shame people that don't fit into conventional anything. I'm, I'm trying to think of like good examples, like a single parent family that can't maybe afford to have like the right clothes and now all of a sudden is an outsider. Or maybe it has something to do with gender and sexuality. That outsider protagonist really upholds like conventional norms. Um, Or my least favorite version of the outsider protagonist is the protagonist that doesn't go to the right church in town. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so all of that just really upholds that conventionality sort of thing. But interestingly, I do like it when it's done well in a world building situation. Yes. In fantasy, it because you're not upholding that conventional norm, I do find that I respond to it better yeah. versus in another book where I'm just like, okay, this again. 
Right. And the book like, and I don't have any great examples of it, but Well, I just got done reading the Shadow and Bone series. Uh that was an outsider protagonist where she's she was an orphan in the military and then she found out she had mag- magical powers and she got thrust into a magical world. So like that was an outsider like coming in kind of thing, but it was in fantasy, so I was much more willing to put up with it than somebody who has been living in the same community for 15 years and is like, "Wow, I never saw this before." Open your eyes. Get glasses. I also don't mind the the outsider protagonist who has a traumatic event that kind of separates them from their friend group because they don't feel understood by that friend group or that whole like you see it in the babysitters club with how Claudia and all of the other babysitters club were like good friends and then all of a sudden Claudia discovered boys and fashion and these different interests and then all of a sudden was like an outsider in their group Um, because those are times that we all feel like the outsider Yeah, and I think there's a difference between being feeling as though you're the outsider but realizing that you're really not mm-hmm. and an author or a character saying I am an outsider I love how you put that yes because Shadow and Bone she wasn't actually an outsider she just yes. felt like it because exactly. she hadn't yeah I, I love that I think that's great that that I that I can definitely deal with okay yeah. so here here we go oh yes <laughs> oh no is it this one it's this one this is my favorite and Erin is already making a face because she knows where I'm going where am I going Slow burn. Okay, so slow burn, especially, she's got such a disgusted look on her face, and this is where violence is going to happen, you guys, for real. Okay, so slow burn, especially in romance novels, is that I personally like the quippy, back and forth, heated conversation, the longing looks, the shock to your system, like, oh, oh, this is my person. And there is a slow building of that tension up to the point where the character's finally realize that they're like into each other. I'm not talking about Twilight where there's pages and pages and pages of blankness where Bella's like sad about Edward. I'm not talking about that. That is not slow burn. I'm talking about (laughs) Aaron's dying. I'm wheezing. (laughs) Aaron is dying. She's turning purple like her dress today. It is like just okay. Sarah McLean, I'm telling you, if you're a romance novel reader or you want to see what I'm talking about, read. I well, can I say it? It's the Bare Knuckle Bastard series. Yeah. That's what it's called. I thought you were gonna say uh Seraphina's book. Because that was oh, such the slow burn. Oh, Seraphina's book. Day of the Duchess. I'm telling you, read any Sarah McLean and you will understand slow burn because at times you're gonna be like screaming at these characters, like just kiss already, just touch each other already just please make it happen. And when it does, it's explosive. I love that. I cannot jump into a romance novel where just all of a sudden there's gratuitous scenes just because they're like, oh, this seems like a good spot for the characters to get busy with each other. I don't really enjoy that. I want to see that emotional tension keep going until the point at which there's nothing else for the characters to do but that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make this as PG-13 as possible, but, but explaining slow burn is kind of no I got you anyway so I love this trope I describe it I'm like oh it's so good and for real Sarah McLean masterful slow burn Erin hates this one I okay so slow burn for me okay okay I see where you're coming from and I don't disagree with you I also in any book whether it's romance or not I need before at the I get to the end of the book where these there's a relationship of some sort be it friends be it like a familiar relationship like anything where it's like realized in some way I do need actual build up I need emotional 
I need like the tension. The tension. <laughs> I needed something. I was trying to think of anything, but it was just getting blocked. Um, <laughs> tension. I need. I need that tension. Mm-hmm. I need those emotional building blocks, like for sure. the relationship. However, for me, slow burn is hello. Yes, I loved you, but I'm not gonna tell you for four years. Yes, we could have been together for four years. We could have had a talking child by now. No, I'm not going to tell you. I hate that because that's so much time lost. It's so sad. Also, guys, my last name is Rush. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I mean, it's everywhere. It's not like I'm telling you anything fun. And that's kind of how I like my romances. Rush. I just, I just <laughs> I need a minute to recover from that one. I'm gonna need a hot minute to recover from that. Oh, shoot. <laughs> you were ready for that. I was not prepared for that at Oh, <laughs> Ooh, baby. Okay, but no, no, no. Okay, so I don't like, I love the emotional building and I don't want there to be no emotional building, but I don't want wasted years. That's too slow of a burden for me. And sometimes that it's just because I feel it a lot with like a slow burn. There's the, well, I didn't understand that you felt this way. Well, I didn't understand that you felt this way. So for three years, we said nothing. Like that's dumb to me. Okay, I don't disagree with that. That's why I love Serafina's book, but I was so upset that it was so long. I have feelings on that. Okay, okay. And someday, perhaps, we will do a deep dive into that particular book because I have feelings. <laughs> Can we do a podcast on one book? I mean, okay. Haven needed to pay. Yeah. He needed to understand yeah. what was happening. Yeah. He needed to realize that he had to lose and that not everything was going to come to him just yeah. because he was a duke. And she had to stay away that long to be able to figure out how to come back, get what she needed, and not lose her heart again. So I, and in that respect... They, that was the time they needed. Anyway, I, that is my hot take on okay. the day of the Duchess. No, yes, Sarah McLean, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> Which you're totally not, but it's fine. Oh gosh. Okay, we gotta move on to the next one because I'm just gonna okay. keep rebutting you. I know you are. I know. Oh, this one's mine. Okay. Oh, good. I'm ready. Low to respect to love. Okay, so this one's very similar to enemies to lovers, uh, and I really like that trope. But the problem is, is I don't want like true enemies because sometimes you have this person who's like committed atrocities. Like, um, okay, let's. Let's look at Star Wars. I'm not spoiling anything, guys. If you haven't like watched Star Wars, steal, I guess. Um, don't listen to the next 30 seconds. You have Padme who's in love with Anakin, which is like cool. Okay. First of all, there's an age difference there that I don't really want to talk about right now. But the point that I'm talking about right now is the fact that he murdered so many children and then she had children with him. He went on killing sprees on babies twice. So that, that right there, I don't justify that kind of enemy. However, in those books, like I'm gonna use Stalking Jack the Ripper as an example, where in the beginning, it's like, oh, you annoy me. Oh, you annoy me. Oh, I just don't want to deal with you. I kind of disdain you. Oh, oh. But now I have to deal with you all the time. Oh, it's fine. And then gradually they stop saying that each other's last names and it becomes each other's first names. And it's like, oh, oh, oh. It's so good. I concur. <laughs> I agree with you. I do not love the whole enemies to lovers thing, especially if the enemy thing has like any sort of like Stockholm syndrome-esque yeah. sorts of whatevers. Um, as I feel like a lot of contemporary romance does have like so anyway I don't like I don't I mean unless you're gonna give me a library like in Beauty and the Beast I really do not want a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing <laughs> sorry anyway. Stockholm if there's a library that you don't leave you gotta keep it yourself pinned up. I mean I, I kind of feel like anyway um but I do love the low to like to lovers thing that is my favorite and the example Aaron used is one of my favorite examples because over the course of all of the books it's like it's just beautiful because all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, 
Oh. Or my other favorite is when someone gets a whiff of perfume and it's all of a sudden one of their favorite scents. And it's not so much that they even recognize it, but like it's that whole like I'm having this really bad day and then all of a sudden I get this whiff of jasmine and everything's better and you're like, that's her perfume that I I do love that also I do consider that part of the slow burn thing that Ooh. that trajectory of uh, to to uh, to ooh. I just call that plot building it is plot building but it's yeah. like it's kind of that same sort of yeah whatever no just, I do love that one as well yeah good all right my next one okay I'm so glad this one came up miscommunication at the crux of the problem okay so this one is on my like list but for a very She's giving me the look for a very specific reason. It's not so much I'm refusing to talk to you about the thing. I tried to bring the thing up to you. You misinterpreted what I was saying. So then now I misinterpreted. And so now I don't feel like I can bring it back up to you. Okay. So I just got done reading To Have and To Hoax. So I'm I'm using this a lot for like romance novels. Sorry, but apparently that's all I've written or read. <laughs> I haven't written anything, you guys. I've just read them. You're getting really excited for your rebuttal. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first book in this series, it's this rich dude in the aristocracy. He falls in love with this woman. He thinks that they have this beautiful, perfect marriage. He happens to walk by his dad talking to her in their, like, salon or whatever. Overhears a snippet and, like, gets ticked and leaves. Yeah. And they don't talk for, like, five years. Well, That's dumb. Okay, it is dumb. But you find out that, yes, they have have talked. It's just, she tries to bring it up. He gets ticked. He's ready to talk about it. She's like, forget it. No way. Like, I'm out the door to go to this thing. I like it sometimes, especially in historical contexts where people were not encouraged to have phenomenally wonderful relationships. And I love when some other third party that like one or the other of them is complaining to is like, oh my gosh, you're dumber than you look. Like, did you ever consider saying something else to her, to him, blah, 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 blah. Maybe you don't have the right of it. And then they start to think about it a little bit. And they're like, well, maybe. I don't love seeing that much time passing. But I also think, especially in relationships with those we care about the most, our words get misconstrued very easily. Like, and I don't have a really great example of like dialogue or whatever. Right. Okay. I have an, okay, so I normally do not like this trope. I feel like this is one of those things where it's a simple plot device that's overused for authors to be like and here we're gonna continue our plot bam we could have been done in a hundred pages but no I decided to write a full book not a novella you know one of those things and yeah it's like, no oh. I agree however what if I'm not gonna say the book and the author because this is spoiling an entire series so I'm just gonna tell you like the Wait, snippet what? of conversation okay I'm um, ready for it <clears throat> this is my favorite miscommunication so the girl doesn't originally speak the same language that they're speaking in this conversation it's very noted in the book that sometimes she'll use the wrong verb or the wrong adjective or something like that and it completely changes her meaning sometimes and normally people just correct her for example like she'll say like pull your sandals on you know it's like no put your boots on or pull yourself up by your bootstraps is what she was trying to say kind of thing so she goes up to the guy he'd been wanting to have a relationship with her and she's like no I'm just gonna keep you as like a little side thing and he's like no I want a relationship I want a family and she comes up to him one day it makes sense in the book I'm just gonna say this and says 
I have a baby. And in his mind, he's like, did you steal this from like one of your followers? Like just because you steal a baby doesn't mean we're a happy little family now. No, she had his baby, but used the wrong verb. So that was one of my favorite pieces of miscommunication. See, that done well yeah. is good. Yeah. I don't mind that. Yeah. It's the stupid, well, but I'm mad at her and I'm never talking to her again. Yeah. Yeah. What's your next one? Conspiracy theory. So we're looking at like Dan Brown folks, like Da Vinci Code and stuff like that, where there's like this big conspiracy theory or like another example of this is like a uh, national treasure. Yes. Like, there, there's mm-hmm. like a conspiracy going on and it's <clears> like, hey, we got to follow all the steps and everything. You know, got to find it. I don't like this one this much. I like conspiracy theories for like spooky things and stuff like that. But things where it's like, and all of the pieces came together because the stonemasons or whatever did this. I'm like, this has been there for how long and it didn't crumble? I'm sorry. The finishing on my house like crumbles in like 30 years, but this has been here for 400. What? I'm done. I don't like it. It's on my like list. Oh, sorry, because baby. No, it's fine. No. For the exact reason that you were talking about, when it is done well, I do love it in spooky sorts of or true crime-ish. It always comes back to spooky season. <laughs> There it is. I knew she was going there. No, I I do like it when it's done well. I don't want it to all be wrapped up in like a beautiful bow. I'm not asking for that. But I also do love when that conspiracy theory can be steeped in a little bit of truth. I think that books that are written about like New Orleans and some of the spooky things that happen there and some of the underworld things that happen there and like some of that kind of stuff. I love that. I think that's so cool. I will not lie. I did actually like the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) It's okay. When it came out, I did think that it was really, really, really super well done. Yeah. One of the perfect ones, Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know by Samira Ahmed. I haven't read that one yet. Okay. So it's the one about um, Alexandra Dumas. It's a girl who's trying to get into art school and Dumas is like great, 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 great grandson. And they're trying to save the Dumas property from being raised and demolished for like this really beautiful like country club resort or whatever. The story gets told back and forth between all these beautiful places in France and time periods. And it talks a lot about like the romantic poets, sorry, I should say that, and like creativity and their drug-fueled parties and the women that they stole work from and the people that they stole stories from, but yet all of a sudden you find yourself in this decrepit old apartment in an old part of Paris. There's just tons of layers to it. So I do like things that are steeped somewhat in historical mysteries. And this story could be what happened. I don't mind that. Interesting. Because when, to me, a conspiracy theory, it has to have like a certain hierarchy or a certain like pedigree to be an actual conspiracy theory. Like it has to hit like a certain level of like government interference or hierarchy where somebody is specific trying to hide it, not just like it's gotten lost over time. So for me, I would have looked at that as a mystery. So I, I'm intrigued by your definition again. Also, though, obviously there are people trying to keep this under wraps so that they well, can do what they want. want for the country know, club. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I got you now. I I, I do, I, I tend to run a little bit faster and looser with my conspiracy theory definition yeah. because it's not all political or governmental for me. If the character has a belief that or a hunch that they cannot prove 
prove, but they go with and then they prove. That's my broad conspiracy theory version. Okay, token diversity. Oh, as you can tell, Aaron and I both have the same feeling about this one. Do not love this. Do not love it at all. So it's like writing a book that has that one token kid in there. That one, okay, I'll go there. Everyone's probably going to want to harm me after this. I'm talking about wonder. You've got oh, okay. one kid with one disability. The book's about him and about how he figures out to be normal oh, in so, society. So it's not how he's learning to like put himself and like be excited in society and to make society accept him. It's how he's being accepted. Yes. Oh, well, I don't want to like trash on that narrative because I know for a lot of people it's important because it's like, yes, I can see myself. But at the same time, I'll say this with women. I'll say this with any minority or any culture that needs to be like put forward. I always want own stories and I always want stories where you don't have to bow to society, where you're making your own place and making society accept you, not being accepted. Yes. This could also be the outsiders. The token diversity was Cherry. She was the only girl that they really talked about in that book. So just that idea of I'm going to write for the majority and then, oh, as an afterthought, I'm going to put this other character in. So it could be race. It could be ethnicity. It could be gender. It could be sexuality. It could be ability or disability. It could be language spoken at home, socioeconomic status. Like, oh, look, poor kid on scholarship becomes best friends with kid whose parents own the school. There's really, there's not many places anywhere in the world anymore that are homogenous like that. Let's look at our own Tyson plan here in Columbus Junction. I think they have over 80 different countries represented. So you can't write a book about all white people and then throw in a token black person. Okay. Be diverse in your writing. I want to apologize. I interrupted you before the rebuttal. It's uh, fine. And that's not how we're discoursing today. So I want to apologize. No, it's fine because we both have very strong feelings about this one. Yeah. You're good. I One of my pet peeves, especially about token diversity, is the idea... Okay, so we're going to look at Wicked Saints by Emily Duncan. I really loved this book. I thought it was good. Now, in that book, his uh, best friend his like lieutenant general or whatever is gay. She's mm-hmm. lesbian and she has a partner back at court or whatever. She has to keep it on the down low. It said, yeah, no, I'm I'm queer in some way. It said that she's lesbian. She identifies as lesbian, so that's what I'm saying. And then that's it. We know that she is. And occasionally she'll go, oh, she's cute. And that's it. There is no, I am a person who is queer and this is how it affects my life. Or I have to be scared of this person because I know if they find out I could lose my position at court or something like that. Versus like, let's go ahead and I know I already talked about this book, guys. I'm sorry. It does a lot of things really well. Stalking Jack the Ripper. That whole series, you have Danica. So she's lesbian and it talks about her struggles with her family. Her relationship with her brother is really close. Why you guys are really close? Our dad doesn't talk to her as much anymore or blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's not actually telling that story. It's putting them there without giving them a voice. Yes. It's a label and not a story. Yes. It's a label, not a person. Guys, so I got love triangle. And for those of you who don't know, a love triangle is usually it's two guys who both like this girl and the girl in some respects likes both boys. And at one point she usually likes one more than the other, but it flip flops back and forth. So it's a love triangle. Although I want to point out, it's not really a love triangle. It's kind of like a little arrow because at no point in most of these stories are the boys actually liking each other. So it's just this little like arrow. It's not a triangle. I'm done. 
I love pyramid because, you know, pyramids don't go sideways. They go up. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is that you want a love triangle book where the two boys think that they like the girl. The girl thinks she likes the two boys, but ultimately the two boys fall in love with each other and they leave the girl hanging. 100%. Okay, guys, here's my, here's myself for reading The Merchant of Venice by Shakespeare. Here we go. Everyone. Okay. So this isn't the traditional love triangle, but here you go. You got the main character and he's just like, hey, bro, what up? Uh, Antonio is just like, oh, hey, yeah, I want to get my ship sail, uh, to sail across the sea, bro. Can you help me with that? He's like, I can totally help you. Okay, cool. And then the girl that he falls in love with, Portia, I believe it's Portia. So. Yeah, okay. It's been a hot minute. She's just like, oh, by the way, I'm kind of in control of you because you're trying to get my family's money and uh, you can't marry me since you lied to me. So I don't know. Maybe I don't have control of you, but he's like, or maybe you don't have control over me. You can't do this, even though I do love you and I do care for your friend. Like, he's nice and all. And his friend is just like, but bro. And he's like, don't worry, bro. I'm gonna fix this for you. So really, she's kind of the outsider here. And they're the ones that are kind of in love, but she does care for the friend. So that's what I, that's what I like. Cause it is just like a sexual, like hierarchy. Like you do this for me and that's fine. Your little friend can go do what he wants. It's great. Read the Merchant of Venice. Okay. I don't even know what to say to that. I didn't say how I really felt about it. I okay. just, I put, my, I put it in my tone. Guys. I hate it. I think it does this thing where it makes the girl seem one dimensional because it's focused on her romantic pursuits and it's not focused on her academic or anything else like her professional career or any of the other wonderful, amazing assets that she has. The whole story is about emotionally. What do I think? And most of the time when you're reading these stories, there is a clear choice that's going to be beneficial for you for life in general. I get that's not how emotions work, but like, okay, sure. Let's reduce women to, do I love him or do I love him? I can't really make this own decision because I'm just just a little woman in emotions. Proceed. That's why I hate it. I don't, I feel like there's going to be violence in a minute. <laughs> okay. For the record. Yeah. Like this trope conditionally. Okay. Edward, Bella, Jacob. Clearly Jacob was the better choice and I am not here for discussion I other than that. I don't agree. What I the heck are you talking about? This is my rebuttal. No. No. Mandy. Jacob. No. no. At no point did he respect her decisions. At he least Edward tried to leave. He did. Edward tried to leave several times and he told Bella, you shouldn't date me. And she actively pursued him. Bella never actively allowed her. He's like 400 years old. He's a more mature than a 17-year-old kid. He's a hundred. Whatever. He was like 8 million years old. But Jacob... She never pursued Jacob and he always pursued. Okay, I'm sorry. I interrupted your rebuttal. (laughs) I apologize. But Bella never pursued Jacob. I just want to say. I know. Which I means know. it wasn't a love triangle. Jacob's just getting in here. He just shoved himself in like a wedge. Okay, but here's the thing that I do like. I like when there is an unsuspecting love triangle. When here's this person who likes another person, but then there's this best friend that clearly gets them, that they can talk to, that has been there and has been that supportive one. And you see that friendship build to something a little bit more. I like the unsuspecting love triangle sort of thing. I do like when it's an enjoyable little love triangle because there's multiple little love triangles going on because I I don't think that it's ever just insulated from anything else. So like she might like this boy and this other boy, but this other boy may like this other boy and this other girl too. Like there's just this whole plethora of different whatevers that go along with it. And I, I think I like the tension better than the trope, but I don't like when the entirety of the book, Bella looking at you, is about, oh, he's gone. Oh, I'm so 
sad. Oh, blank page after blank page. Oh, what am I gonna do without him? Sad, 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 sad. All I ever do is think about him, but then the author keeps trying to insert this other boy in there to create that love triangle. I don't love when the entirety of the book is based around that love triangle and the person at the center of the love triangle trying to figure out which person they like more. Okay, one of my favorite authors, Rin Shepeko, recently I've talked about her a lot, guys, and I'm not gonna stop. Get angry about it. So the Bone Witch does a love triangle thing. I'm not calling it a whole love triangle. I'm saying a love triangle thing where at one point the main character is like, I like this person and I I think this person likes me too. So it was kind of a thing and there was a guy on the side and he's like, I know she likes him. It's fine. I want her to be happy. I'm just not gonna say anything. Well then like something happens and she's like, oh I might have been idolizing this guy because he's a little bit older than I am and you know, I realize he's not so perfect and really I just wanted to be a friend with him and I realize I've been dumb. Then she's like, oh but this person I just keep feeling drawn to. She thought it was a friend and then she realized, oh, it was more with this person kind of thing. So it was a love triangle, but at no time were like the competing for each other type thing. That's a good way of they, putting it. I yeah. don't like the competition part of it. Because women are not a prize. Fair enough. Except for me. <laughs> All right, here we go. This one is Soulmate Universe. Okay, so Erin is fluttering over there. Fluttering. And I will be honest, I'm not 110% sure what her definition of this is. Um, And I have to say I'm kind of ambivalent about it at this moment in time. I can't say as though I'm drawn to it and I can't say as though I dislike it. So I want to hear your definition and then I get to rebut again. All right, I think that's fair. Okay, uh, since you interrupted me about Edward, clearly. <laughs> Clearly she has opinions about Edward. I didn't even talk about your clear obsession with Pretty in Pink, like... <laughs> you just gave the whole outline for Pretty in Pink. Did I? Yeah. Oh, I'm in love with this guy. Oh, but you're the person that I can talk to and you're my best friend. <gasps> oh. I did. Yeah, your 80s were showing. I feel very attacked by that. You even said Jacob was the best choice. I had to. I'm talking about the 80s are showing. I oh. feel very attacked. You know what? I... <laughs> While we are on John Hughes, can we just talk about Say Anything, where John Cusack is standing outside her window holding that boombox up, how that is the ultimate for me. When he says, what are your future plans? The dad says to John Cusack's character, what are your future plans? And he's like, I don't know, like maybe this, maybe this, but like make your daughter happy. And I'm sorry, John Hughes forever. You can call me 80s. I can feel attacked, but you know what? I know what's good stuff. Yeah. I'm sorry to all you, I almost said boomers. <laughs> All you Gen Zers that don't have a stinking clue. It's fine. I just chose violence. I was going to cut it out, but I don't know if I will. That's so good. All right. So Soulmate AU. So this is, I put like Soulmate Universe, but I really like Soulmate uh, AU. So this is a fan fiction term, actually. So because fan fiction does this lovely thing where it gets really excited for tropes. So in fan fiction, you can write an original story where you have a plot device that gives you your soulmate. For one of my favorite examples is everybody in the universe has tattooed on their arm the first thing that their, their soulmate would say to them. So like it could be something like innocuous, like, hello, how are you today? So every time somebody says, hello, how are you? today you're looking at your arm and you say something like I'm fine toucan in hopes that like you'll find your person kind of thing or it could be something one of my favorite is I can't believe Dumbledore died and then out of nowhere like somebody screams you you spoiled Harry Potter for me for my entire life 
you know, stuff like that. There's the idea that like, you know, without a doubt, you get to be the best person you absolutely can with the best person for you. So you are putting so much positive love and energy and vibes out into the world that it's just so good. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm borderline ambivalent about this one. Okay. But also I think I'm going to choose chaos today. <gasps> oh no. Why would you do say, this? I don't know. I, it's a, it's a lovely premise and I will probably love it because <laughs> let's be real. I will. But at the same time, I love seeing people struggle. <laughs> like, I mean, we would not have like the pretty in pinks with the whole like, yeah. And yeah. we wouldn't, wouldn't have say anything like, because anyway, I do love the chaos of, I don't know when I'm going to meet this person. It could be this person. It could be this person. It could be this person. And just that not knowing until you know, or not knowing until you definitely know it's a no, uh, not going to happen. Because I think those are really fun stories too. I think it has yeah. a time and a place and especially like in world building and stuff like that. I, yeah. I think I would really enjoy it. Yeah. So I definitely say it is more in fantasy or like contemporary world where somebody has added this mechanism in. So yeah. it's definitely a mechanic, not necessarily, but it's very popular in fiction. What's your last one? All right. My last one is all the adults are dead or useless. So this is Disney. Why are all of the moms dead? I want to point out all like so many Disney parents are dead and there is no like guidance or safe space for these children to go to. So they're ostracized by their society because they have no one who can lead them or give them any sort of affection that isn't like plot through like action like you did what I wanted you to do therefore I will give you affection that's not how you treat children you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I feel like this as a plot device is so annoying because you are othering this child for the point of your story to make an outsider story which I already said I didn't like okay so this is also on my note list and I'm, I'm interested that you went Disney because I went YA oh yeah because and this might just be my 80s are showing I'm um, sorry I didn't think this is gonna hurt you. No, you it's talked fine. about being an '80s kid. So I, hyped! I I am hyped. Me and my jelly shoes are hyped for it. Am I gonna have to show you a picture of what jelly shoes no, are? No, I know what jelly shoes are, but I was I was excited. My jellies. I just I feel like jelly shoes always make me feel wiggly. <laughs> <I'm> like Jello. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I look at it, and I think part of the reason I don't. I notice it a lot more now than when I was younger. But like, let's be real. The outsiders, the parents are dead and these people are just raising themselves. And like, anyway, I'm drawing a blank on all the characters' names. But anyway, like, you've Pony got- Pony Boy Soda Pop. Pony Boy Soda Pop, but the older brother. And it's not Dally. It's, uh, it's Patrick Swayze's character. It's fine. It's fine. Um, But like, they have to raise themselves. And then like, society's like, oh, they're doing such a bad job of it. Well, hello, it takes a village to raise kids. And when people's like, immediate villages go what are you supposed to do you're supposed to step in you're supposed to try and help you're supposed to do something that helps these kids out anyway that's my tangent about the outsiders well i do not love this trope because i think there are tons and tons and tons of narratives about crummy parents and there are crummy parents out there and there are terrible people out there but what i do love seeing is that there are wonderful parents out there and there are wonderful parental figures out there they don't have to be your biological parents it can be a teacher that you really respect their opinion. It can be your friends' parents that you really respect their opinion or they've helped you out during a tough time. When we're reading books about teenagers, newsflash, teenagers cannot solve all of their problems on their own. They may need some guidance. Newsflash, old adults like my 80s butt need help. I call my mom all the time. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I'm totally just making fun of you now. Like it's a thing today. I I just wanted to make sure I didn't actually know your feelings. Okay. No, it's fine. But like I still, as a parent, 
myself. Call my mom and be like, uh, how do I make this thing? What would you do to get this stain out? Oh my God, do you know what this kid did? <laughs> we need guidance from other people with different lived experience. And so when the narrative is constantly that the parents or the adults in the story are absent, useless, or dead, it does not help to show kids what is out there, what to start looking for. It sets the tone that everyone is just inherently expected to know what to do. And no, no one does. No one has a clue. We sometimes have similar experiences that we can transition that knowledge over to, but sometimes stuff just happens and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And we all need that group of people around us that are like, all right, let's figure this out. Let's do this thing. If I don't know, you know what? I know how to make phone calls. I can I can help you figure this out. And there's not shame in that. And so I don't love the tropes when people get shamed for asking questions, going to adults. I especially, especially detest when there is something catastrophic happening in a kid's world that they keep, they swear their friends to secrecy when their friends know that they could help. And I'm thinking about The Music of What Happens by Bill Koenigsberg. It's the story of a young man who's coming to understand himself and his sexuality. And he has a boyfriend and the boyfriend reveals that he was sexually assaulted. The one kid's like, you know what? Like, let's talk to my mom about this. And he's like, no, I just need to handle this on my own. And while he does eventually come to tell someone else about it, it's only after he tried to handle the situation himself and re-traumatized himself further, which is a very believable plot line. It absolutely is. Kids always try to solve their own problems themselves and then realize I'm in way too deep. And so I'm glad to see that that arc got completed to like, let's talk to my mom. Let's figure this out. Let's do all of that. But I don't love it when it stops right there. And then it just doesn't go well. And then everyone's re-traumatized and then there's no resolution and people are dealing with that. As a teenager, I did not notice this trope as much. Now as a parent, I detest it and I recognize it all the time. And I'm constantly screaming at my books. Where are the parents? One point that you said that I wanted to highlight because it was amazing was not only, but like not only. I mean, you can tell me I'm amazing anytime you want. <laughs> you are, so no worries. <laughs> um, but you, I said authors are othering their characters for a plot device. And you pointed out they're not just othering their characters, they're othering their audience. Absolutely. Encouraging their audience to other and isolate themselves, which Absolutely. is not healthy. All right, our last one. Here we go. You know what it is. It's the ugly to beautiful, the ugly duckling to the beautiful swan. <sighs> All right, here we go. Are you ready? No. Because y'all have seen this. If you happen to be in any way, shape, or form over the age of 30, you grew up watching nonstop movies about this. 10 Things I Hate About You. The ugly, prickly girl all of a sudden becomes the beautiful belle that wins over the cute boy. Um, I'm trying to think of all of the other examples. Any any late 90s, early 2000s rom-com. Truthfully. Yeah, um, there was one out not too long ago. Uh, the Duff? Yes! Designated Ugly Fat Friend? Yes. Uh, yeah, no, this is still a trope. Doesn't, like, John Tucker Must Die or something like that? I Doesn't... don't know, I've never seen that one. Okay, there's basically any 90s movie has... She's all that. Oh, Amanda Bynes did a a lot of these movies too were like oh she was perfectly fine and beautiful before but then at the end it's like wow I look the same but now I'm beautiful yes because I dyed my hair blonde yes and it, it was always about straightening especially in the late 90s early 2000s it was about straightening your hair dyeing it blonde losing weight
weight, wearing a cute midriff shirt and a mini skirt, wearing heels, taking off your glasses, putting your hair down rather than having it pulled up. And it it just, it was, oh, and then lipstick, makeup, makeup yeah. the whole thing. On the flip side, I know we've talked a lot about women because obviously that's the perspective that we see because that's the media that got crammed down our formative throats. Yeah. Meaning me and my generation. Hello, Xennials. <laughs> like for guys, it was all of a sudden like going from the slouchy glasses in the library guy to Polo, Ralph Lauren, Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, like preppy clothes, no glasses. And now he's like a football or soccer star. Like that whole change of everything, like that physical change is the only thing that changed. They're still the same person on the inside, but now all of a sudden they're beautiful and they're popular and everyone loves them and wants to be their friend. Despise it. Hate it. Still hate it. I also want to point out, okay, so I've got several things I want to talk about. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so one, I hate that the story only derives worth from her when she changes herself. And then later on at the end, she's like, oh, maybe I was fine before because it's like, oh, well, I liked you then. But it doesn't really like have her go back to anything. It just says, well, you were fine that way too. But then she continues to do the way that society encourages her to do so. I hate that. Also, what I hate women. Okay, so you were talking about like, oh, this affects men too. I notice a lot with like stories. And again, I'm a girl. This is my perspective. You know, I know. I don't know enough. But I really see status change, not physical changes with men. Like I am now the soccer star. So now I'm sporty. So now I've got more status in school or I got money. Okay. Or I- I snagged the popular girl. Right. It's a status change, not a physical change. Whereas women are encouraged to change their entire body. I would definitely agree with you. It seemed like it was a status change or clothing and glasses. Not so much like haircut. Oh no, can't buy me love. Hello. She changes his clothes. She changes his hair. She takes, oh, you have not seen Can't Buy Me Love. My mom didn't like any rom-com. So any rom-coms I saw were like me actively. Patrick Dempsey. Like one of his early, early, early movies. Okay. My 80s are showing. Um, he has this lawn mowing business. He's kind of geeky. He's super into astronomy, saving up money to buy this really spectacular telescope. Goes to the mall, trying out this telescope, sees Cindy Mancini, sees her. She had a raving, like awesome party at her house last night. Got wine spilled on her mom's brand new white suede outfit that her mom said she could not borrow. So what does our Patrick character do? He walks over, buys her a new suit so that her mom never finds out in exchange for her making him popular during their senior year. Changes his clothes, changes his, where he sits in the lunchroom, takes off his glasses, musses up his hair, and introduces him as her boyfriend. Okay. And then all of a sudden, status. Okay. P.S. Love that movie though. <laughs> love it. Because there are times where you still see him be that true character to himself. Yeah. But you also see him become a real jerk to the people that he'd always been friends with before. Yeah. So I, I you're right. There are examples where like, he is physically changing his clothes and stuff like that. But like I said, I usually, like with comedies, like Ron cons and stuff like that normally it is just them like my status has changed now changed the shirt you know mm-hmm. whereas like I feel like with guys it's like yeah I put on a shirt you know like that is how you are putting yourself out and representing and expressing yourself so changing that one shirt maybe is the equivalent of like changing your hair getting up an hour early every day to make sure that your makeup is perfect you know getting up to exercise early and everything like that but there is so much more time spent on changing a woman's body to make sure it looks presentable every single day than a man 
means, then it, women are losing this time to be productive. A man can change his body, his status changes, and he turns into this beautiful from this ugly duckling. But at the same time, she's losing six hours to like his one. So then he's still able to be like follow his career and be involved in academics and after school sports and everything. And she loses that. Yes. Yeah. I do. So here's the trope that I do enjoy. Yes. That is quasi along this line. Yeah. Again, the magic by Lisa Klepus. So she thinks that she is somehow physically not beautiful enough. And here's this man who is like (laughs) that beautiful. And I love when he has always seen her and when he, when they can show each other how they've always seen each other and how that, especially in those romantic relationships, that other person has always been able to see your true beauty. Like even if your hair was up, even if you're, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you think doesn't make you beautiful or personable or whatever, but that that's been the thing that that other person's like, no, no, no. Like that's the characteristic that makes you, you like, I don't know, maybe if you have hot opinions about everything and you do a podcast at work and your husband's like, that's cute, but never listens to us. single episode. I have no idea what you're talking about. I 100% agree because you're not changing for society. Not at And all. you don't change for that other person. You change how you think about yourself. Right. But you aren't physically changing anything. No. I think that's wonderful. Self-love. I, I think you're right on that aspect. Yeah. So we yeah. used a lot of like movie and TV references about yeah. tropes because they are such fast plot devices. Like, yeah. Plot devices. And I think a lot of times in books, it ends up being a lot more subtle or it takes that trope and it flips it on its head. Also, I just want to point out, tropes aren't bad. We had several ones we disliked. Also, there's comfort in knowing what's going to come with the story. Just like I like reading romance novels because I know I'm going to get my happily ever after, there's fun in tropes because it's like, oh, this is comfortable. This is what I like. Let's go. So, yeah. So, uh, thank you for bearing with us. <laughs> um, with all of that chaos and violence today. Um, we hope that you enjoyed. Check out our weeklet. It will be on our website, www.columbusjct.lib.ia.us. It's under Programs Beyond the Bookshelf Podcast. We will catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening and see you later. Bye. Bye.